Welcome to the Unnamed Adventures Podcast. This podcast is about sharing our never-ending story of the transformation of our previous traditional lifestyle into one where we travel debt-free and live out our dreams. We will adventure to new places, try and learn new things, while sharing our experiences with you. On today's episode, we're going to share some information we learned about Fort Abraham Lincoln State Park in Mandan, North Dakota, which is very close to Bismarck, North Dakota, where we camped out this last fall. It's a super cool location with tons of stuff to see and do with the entire family. Check out the show notes for links and more information. We hope you enjoy this episode and learn more about life at Fort Abraham Lincoln. In 1872, orders were given to build an infantry post, first named Fort McKean. The name was changed in November of that year to Fort Abraham Lincoln. A cavalry post was authorized by the Act of Congress in March of 1873 and constructed during the summer of that year. The fort was initially needed to provide protection for the railroad workers and survey crews from Native American attacks. It also provided protection to the settlements establishing in the area. Without the help of the Army, the progress of the westward migration and settlement would have had been more difficult and might have taken much longer. The infantry stationed at Fort Abraham Lincoln found that it was no match for the Sioux, who were excellent horsemen. In response to the growing Indian problem, Congress authorized the addition of the cavalry post to the fort. In the autumn of 1873, Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer arrived with six companies of the 7th Cavalry. Fort Abraham Lincoln was now a nine-company fort with a total of 650 men of the 7th Cavalry and the 6th and 17th Infantries. The importance of the fort was evidenced by the fact it was headquarters of the Middle District in the Department of Dakota. This district included Fort Abraham Lincoln, Fort Rice, Fort Severson, Camp Hancock, and the Grand River Agency. Fort Abraham Lincoln was a central hub for distribution of supplies to these other forts. Life in a frontier military post was often filled with dangers and hardships for soldiers and officers alike. A few women, laundresses, servants, wives, and daughters of enlisted men and officers shared this garrison life with the men stationed there. Primitive living conditions, harsh climate, and the closely regulated military society made army life strenuous and difficult. With courage and abundant good humor, most young wives adjusted to the frontier hardships and grew to love their lives they made for themselves and their families. Of all the women living on the frontier army post, only the laundresses were recognized by the army and given legal status in the ranks. Officers' wives and daughters, female servants, wives, and daughters of the civilian employees and Indian women were all placed into the category of camp followers and fell under the direct supervision of the post commander. Laundresses received living quarters, wood, and food rations, and the services of the post surgeon. 
The enlisted men and officers paid for their laundry at the rate set by Council of Administration, which amounted to about a dollar a month per soldier. The typical laundress was married and a mother of several children. Quite often her soldier husband had to take care of her the children while his wife completed the, her part of the company wash. One of the most notorious laundresses of the 1870s was Mrs. Nash, attached to the 7th Cavalry at Fort Abraham Lincoln. Libby Custer wrote that Old Nash joined the 7th in the Kentucky and worked as a company laundress. Mrs. Nash also baked pies, retailed soldiers' uniforms, and served as a midwife. Mrs. Nash was married three times, and it wasn't found out until her death that she was actually a man. In 1878, Congress ordered cost-cutting measures for the military. General Order No. 37 abolished the laundress position in the U.S. Army. Life of the soldiers was very difficult during this time. The Indian War soldiers were all volunteers. Few men were educated, and most were illiterate. Immigrants made up a large number of the recruits. Soldiers joined for a variety of reasons. Some of those are to learn English, to escape from the law, or their wives, or to seek adventure. During most of the Indian Wars, the basic enlisted man's salary was $13 per month. The mainstays of the enlisted men's menu were hash, stew, baked beans, hardtack, salt bacon, green coffee, coarse bread, beef, and sometimes brown sugar, vinegar, and molasses. Scurvy was common disease due to the lack of fresh fruits and vegetables. The average day was occupied by drills, mounting guards, inspections, and fatigue details that include cutting hay, hauling wood and water, working in the garden, and having kitchen duty, being a room orderly, or a stable police. During their free time, they went to a post-school, if one existed, where they read, picnicked, hunted, rode, had parties and dances, participated in sports, and visit the local brothel houses. Far from being an adventurous life, the frontier soldier led a hard, boring, isolated existence. They often worked with poor equipment and were underfed. They suffered from inadequate health care and often substandard housing. Campaigns, while a break from the garrison life, caused even more hardships. In spite of this, they did accomplish their mission of protecting the settlers and the railroad. An officer's life was a little easier than the enlisted man's life. They both shared feelings of isolation and boredom. Much of the officer's day was occupied by conducting drills, directing work details and construction projects, and day-to-day -day administrative work. Although the officers and their families attended plays and dances put on by the enlisted men, their social lives were confined by their own circles. Visits between officers' families and with friends in Bismarck listening to music, playing cards, having formal dances, and costume parties were the main forms of entertainment. Picnics and horseback riding were some of the favorite summer activities. Sometimes officers would organize teams of enlisted men and plan special sporting events, form baseball teams, plan for races, or other organized recreation. For the wives of the officers, the isolation of post-life was very, very difficult. Often a post might only have one or two other women living there. Indian scouts were an important part of the frontier military campaigns. The scout was enlisted for his knowledge of the territory 
and his ability to communicate with members of other tribes. Military scouts were also helpful in training new recruits in frontier survival and tactics and techniques for combat. Bloody Knife was enlisted in 1872 and served under Custer in 1873 during the Yellowstone Expedition and again in the Black Hills Expedition of 1874. He died during the Battle of Little Bighorn, June 25, 1876. Charlie Reynolds, also known as Lonesome Charlie, carried the first news of a gold strike of the Black Hills while serving as a scout under Custer in 1874. He died during the Battle of Little Bighorn, June 25, 1876. Many events led up to the Battle of Little Bighorn. The presence of white men in the Black Hills caused by the Black Hills Expedition was one major factor. Also, Sioux Indians had been leaving the reservation to raid small settlements and farms. In 1875, the Interior Department ordered all Indians to report to reservations by January 31, 1876. By February 1st, many Indians had not reported, and the Interior Department turned the problem over to the military. On February 7th, orders were given to commence military action against the hostile Sioux. The event which was most remembered about Custer and the 7th Cavalry was the Battle of Little Bighorn. In the afternoon of June 25, 1876, Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer and five cavalry companies were annihilated by the Sioux and Cheyenne Indians. On June 27th, General Terry's troops arrived at the battle site. The next day, the dead were buried, and preparations made to move the wounded back to Fort Abraham Lincoln. In the late evenings of July 5, 1876, the steamer Far West arrived in Bismarck, having navigated nearly 700 miles of the river in just 54 hours. The wounded were offloaded at Fort Abraham Lincoln the next morning. It was not until 1881 that most of the problems with the Sioux were settled with the surrendering of Sitting Bull and his followers at Fort Buford. During the six years following the Battle of Little Bighorn, the fort continued its mission to protect transportation routes and railroad construction crews, as well as government property. Upon completion of the railroad to the Montana line, Fort Abraham Lincoln fulfilled its purpose. Consequently, the fort gradually declined in importance. In 1882, the 7th Cavalry headquarters were transferred to Fort Meade, now in South Dakota. The Army abandoned the fort, Abraham Lincoln, in 1891. Many of the buildings of the fort were dismantled, and the materials were used in the construction of area homes and farms. By 1900, all remaining structures had been dismantled by the Army. It is said that many old homes in the Bismarck-Mandan area have lumber and pieces of the old fort within them. Once you have finished touring the historic fort, make sure to stop by the Mandan Indian Village. The site, located near the confluence of the Hart River with the Missouri River, was a former Mandan settlement that has come to be known as Anna Slate Village. Estimated to have included about 75 earth lodges and perhaps a thousand residents, the village has 
had likely existed for over 200 years before a 1781 smallpox epidemic decimated the population. After the fort became designated as a state park in 1907, five earth lodges have since been reconstructed on the site of Slate Village. Their interpretive tours offer an introduction to historic Mandan culture. The site retains archaeological evidence of the original village. The Mandan people say they originated from under the earth somewhere in the east of the Missouri River. They traveled west reaching the Missouri River in present-day South Dakota. Moving north, the Mandan established numerous large villages along the Missouri River by 1450 CE with a population reaching as high as 15,000 people. By 1550 CE, they consolidated into between seven and nine fortified villages around the confluence of the Hart and Missouri rivers near present-day Mandan, North Dakota. A large and powerful nation, the Mandan prospered through extensive trading networks that converged on the stationary villages. Mandan oral history vividly recounts the arrival of the wandering Hadassah bands from the east. These Hadassah bands learned how to farm from their Mandan neighbors, establishing nearby villages. In the 1600s, these Hadassah moved north to the Knife River, joining the Awatskia Hadassah already established in the area. In 1781, a smallpox epidemic devastated the Mandan villages, forcing the survivors to move north and established two villages about five miles south of the Hadatsa villages. They prospered once again until the 1837 smallpox epidemic reduced the Mandan to as few as 125 individuals. Survivors moved to either the Hadatsa villages or moved with the newly arriving Arika. In 1845 and again in 1862, the remaining Mandan moved upriver to Laika Fishhook Village on the present-day Fort Berthold Reservation. Today, the Mandan are part of the three affiliated tribes, or Mandan, Hadatsa, and Arikara Nation. They are centered on the Fort Berthold Reservation in west-central North Dakota, but live all over the United States and the world. I do apologize, I mispronounced any of the names. Thank you for joining us today and listening and learning about Fort Abraham Lincoln. If you want to check out what we've been up to recently, you can always check out our Facebook page or our Instagram page at Unnamed Adventures. <laughs>